some of you might know, um, some of you might not, that I had a birthday this last week. Um, and not just a regular birthday, uh, a big one, um, a really big one, a really important one. And, and I gotta be honest, there was a lot of pressure on me uh, from some people to have a party, to have a, a big party. They said, you know, for a significant birthday like that, you should have a big party. But I didn't want a big party. It's just not sort of my style. And I said to people, look, what I'd really like to do is uh, I, I take the day off from work. And what I'd like to do is just to have sort of a quiet day surrounded by uh, the people that I love doing the things that I love. And so that's what I did on my day, on my big day. Um, I went for a bike ride uh, on my own at dawn, which is something I love to do. I gathered up uh, my immediate family. I met my dad at my favourite chocolate cafe in Stirling uh, for morning tea, and I had a hot chocolate up there, and that was brilliant. Um, my family then drove back down the hill to Marion and went to see Top Gun at the movies for the second time. I honestly, I haven't seen a movie in the cinemas twice since I was like a teenager. Um, but I thought, you know, it was a big day, so what the heck. Um, and I, you're looking weird, Libby, but Top Gun, I love it, all right. So it's what I wanted to do on the day. Um, and I went home and I spent most of the afternoon cooking dinner for my uh, immediate family and a, and a couple of our closest friends uh, cooking dinner for them, um, which I know for a lot of people, the idea of on your birthday is other people cook for you. But on your birthday, I, I love cooking, so I wanted to cook. So that's how I spent my day. It was a great day surrounded by my family and a couple of close friends. And for me, that's what I wanted that day of celebration to be about. We're in a series that we're calling Idols. We're exploring some of the things that can become idols in our lives. We're using uh, Tim Keller's definition of an idol from his book, Counterfeit Gods, where he says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. And we've said in this series that an idol isn't an idol because of what it is. There's nothing special in the, uh, you know, in the physical makeup of an idol. An idol is an idol because of the place that we give it in our lives. We've said that, that actually most of the idols in our lives are ordinary things. They're, they're normal things. Many of them are actually good things, but they become idols because we put them in that central place in our life. We put them in that place of, of real priority, that, if you like, that number one place in our lives, that place that should only ever be reserved for God. Things become idols because we put them in a place in our lives and we choose to look to them for things like security and happiness. We look to them for joy. We look to them for purpose and for meaning. And of course, the truth is that for many of us, you can't talk about words like security and happiness and joy and purpose and meaning without also talking about family. And I know some of you are thinking, wait a minute, are you saying that my family can be an idol? I mean, I love my family. I'm supposed to love my family, aren't we? That's kind of the idea. I spend a lot of time with my family, but again, that's a good thing, surely. My family give me joy. There's a certain kind of meaning and purpose that comes to us from our family. But are they an idol? Can, it, can our family really become an idol for us? 
Jesus said and did a lot of things that really surprised people. He touched a person with leprosy. He touched a person with a contagious skin disease. No one ever did that. Jesus had dinner with prostitutes. Why would you do something like that? Jesus taught women. You weren't even allowed to do that, were you? That was, you know, not a, not a thing. Jesus talked about forgiving people even when they haven't asked for forgiveness, even when they don't deserve forgiveness. Jesus talked about loving our enemies. He talked about looking at those people in our lives that, that persecute us and come against us, those people who make life hard for us and actually loving them back rather than attacking them back. It was, a cra- it was a crazy idea now, but it was certainly a crazy idea then. But perhaps one of the most unexpected, and maybe you could say one of the most crazy things that Jesus ever did was to talk about family the way he talked about family. If you've got a Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 12. We're in verse 46. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are the, uh, the boys' names. Uh, they're together about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Matthew's the first of those books. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. It reads like this. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside waiting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside. They want to speak to you. And he replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You can picture the scene, can't you? The house is packed. There's people in every room trying to hear Jesus speaking in the front room. They've got the windows open and there's, there's faces all, all kind of squashed into the window space to try and get a glimpse of him. There are people lined up out the front door, two, three, four, five deep, just hoping to be able to hear Jesus teach as he talks about the things of God. People are amazed at what he's saying. They're, they're hanging on his every word. And then, and then someone moves into the back of the crowd and, and they're yelling out, trying to get heard inside the house. They're yelling out, hey, hey, Jesus, your mum and your brothers, they've just arrived. They're, they're trying to get your attention. They're trying to see you. We don't know why they want to see him. Maybe he's late for dinner. Maybe the family's getting ready to go to his sister's dance concert and Jesus isn't home in time and they need to go. Maybe it's bin night and it's Jesus' turn to take out the bins, you know, and, and mum's upset because we've got to get them out. Whatever the reason, the expected or the right answer, the right thing for Jesus to do in this situation is obvious. You wrap things up, you say a final prayer, you thank people for coming, and then you go to be with your family. But that's totally not what Jesus does. Jesus hears the word and he says, in, a, in an almost kind of joking way, who are my brother? Who are my brothers? Who, who's my mother? And then he points to those people who are sitting around him and standing around him, those, those disciples. And it's not just meaning just sort of the, the 12. It's all those people who are following him and listening to him. He points to them and he says, these people 
are my mother. These people are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. It's Jesus' way of saying, God is the most important thing in my life. And more than that, he's saying, my most important family is my spiritual family. You know, Mark tells exactly the same story as Matthew. It made such an impression on him. He includes the story as well. Luke tells another story, but with the same punchline. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 and 26. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And he turns to them and he says, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. The contemporary English version, a version of the Bible that, that tries to use sort of, you know, kind of plain English speak, says this. says, you cannot be my disciple unless you love me more than you love your father and your mother, your wife and your children and your brothers and your sisters. Again, it's Jesus saying, there's only one first place in your life and that place belongs to God. And you have to remember that in, in, in Jesus' time, family was super important. In Jesus' time, family wasn't just the people that you hung around with uh, and enjoyed time at, at, at you know, birthdays and things like that. For most people in Jesus' time, your family was your source of, uh, it was the source of your job and your sort of financial, your economic survival. Most people worked for their family. If they were on property, they worked on the family farm or they worked in the family business. Your family in Jesus' time was your protection and your safety. You know, against thieves and, uh, and those sorts of things. It was your family that physically protected you. Your family was your social and your financial support. They didn't have any government payments and all of this sort of stuff. Like, you know, when, when their version of COVID came along, people weren't putting their hands up saying, hey, government, you know, give us money. And it was your family that looked after you in situations like that. So Jesus' statements about family, it's a really radical statement, um, sort of socially and financially as well as spiritually. For him to say, these are my brothers and sisters and mothers, is totally turning on its head the way people understood their culture to work and particularly the way people understood their families to work in that culture. Jesus is pointing his followers to a life that puts God at the centre, that, put, that puts God at the centre before anything else in life, even before family. And let's be honest, that's the challenge for most of us. Because we live in a world, we live in a world in this century that says, you can believe in God, that's fine. In fact, God can even be important in your life. God can be a really important thing to you, that's fine. But there's nothing as important as your family. There's nothing as important as your kids. There's nothing as important as your parents your brothers, your sisters, they're the people that are most important to you. I mean, let's be really honest. Look at the way that we spend our time and our money. 
It points to family being most important in our lives. Look at what we, look at what we talk about and post and read on social media. It's pictures of people posting about their kids, you know, saying, look how important, you know, look how fantastic my children are. I mean, have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus had brothers and sisters? Oh, we know that. There's some references to them in the gospel, but we don't know anything about them. Do you ever think about why that is? Peter, the apostle Peter had a family. We know that because there's a story where Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. So Peter had a wife, presumably had kids, but we don't ever hear anything about them. I mean, all the disciples, they must have had parents, right? At least if they didn't have families. Most historians believe that most of Jesus' disciples were really young uh, when they began following him. So many of them were probably still living at home with their parents and their brothers and sisters, yet we never hear anything about them. Do you know why that is? Quite simply because they were not the important people in the story of the lives of the early church. Because when Peter sat down to talk about his life and his relationship with God, his family was not the most important thing. Jesus' family was not the most important thing to the story of Jesus. When Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, when they sat down to talk about and to write about Jesus, the first thing on their mind wasn't to talk about his family. And in fact... Nowhere in the New Testament do we ever hear about someone prioritising their family over their faith in God, their family over the mission that God's called them to. Nowhere, never. We never ever hear about someone, in the, there's not a single story in the New Testament of someone saying, well, I was going to go on this mission trip, but I've got a sick child at home, so I'll stay. I know this is awkward to say, but this is the truth. We never hear about someone saying, uh, you know, so-and-so's not at worship today because it's a family birthday. Nowhere ever do we read a story of someone prioritising their family over their faith and their mission. And yet again, being really honest, that's how most of us live, isn't it? We skip church because there's a kid's birthday or a, a family, something or other on. We sing songs like, Jesus is my everything. But then we go and post photos of our children or our grandchildren on social media and we write captions like, my whole world, right? <laughs> I'm serious, like I see these things. I'm not trying to have a go. I'm just being real honest, Right? We read stories in the Bible about people travelling the world to share the good news of Jesus. Yet all of our money spent travelling is on taking holidays with our family. And don't misunderstand me. I'm, this isn't an anti-family message. I'm pro-family, right? I love my family. I've been married 26 years to the same lady, uh, which is a miracle of grace that she'd stay with me that long. Um, you know, she's amazing. I love my kids. They'll tell you I love them a little bit too much sometimes. Um, I'm strongly connected to my parents. Uh, I'm really greatly blessed. I know that lots of people have difficult family situations. I'm, I'm just really blessed to have great relationships with all of our extended family on both sides, my side and my wife's side. 
I have some friends in my life that we talk about as family. You know, when we say family, there are, there are some people in my life that are not blood related to me, but, but honestly, and this, like I would give my life for them in a heartbeat. Family is a good thing. I'm not at all saying that. Family is a gift from God and we should love and support and care for and give ourselves to our families definitely. All I'm saying is that when family takes that central place in our life, when family takes that most important place in our life that is only supposed to be reserved for God, we set family up as an idol. We set family up as a a little g God in our own life. And it doesn't matter what we say and it doesn't matter what we sing. When we put our family first with our time and with our money and our energy, we're setting family up in that most important place in our life. So what do we do about that? What do we do about I think that Jesus' words, I think that Jesus' words point, uh, uh, really point to two ways, two things that we can do to put God back into that central place in our life. The first is to seek first the kingdom of God. And the second is to redefine, uh, redefine what family looks like. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. He says to put God first in our daily decisions. He's saying, when you look at how you spend your time, prioritise God's call on your life more than your family's call on your life. Prioritise your daily Bible reading and prayer before the needs of your family. Prioritise weekly worship ahead of family events. Prioritise his command to love one another, to love all people beyond just loving those people who are physically related to you. When you look at how you spend your money, seek first the kingdom of God. Prioritise God's mission to the world. That's what Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom of God, before anything else, including our family. We seek first the kingdom of God and we redefine what family looks like. When someone told Jesus, your family's standing outside, he looked at his followers and he said, this is my family redefined what family looks like. A couple of decades later, when Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 2.19, he wrote, you are no, talking to the Ephesians, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household. He's using the language of household, the language of family to talk about the church. When he wrote a letter to the Galatians, uh, Paul talks about the family of faith, talking about the church there. He's saying your church community is supposed to be like your family. When we say church family, and you hear that, something, oh, I'm, you know, we're doing something with our church family, that's not just supposed to be a word. Jesus says that spiritual family ought to have uh, at least the same standing in our lives as our biological family. And I know that sounds crazy to us in, in you know, uh, 21st century uh, Western culture in Australia. But that's what Jesus is saying. That, that's, that's the way he lived. That's the way Paul and the early church lived. 
And I know that all sounds a bit crazy and that all sounds a bit like something you say at church, but what do you actually do with that when you leave? You know, is that just, is that just crazy church talk? I mean, do you really expect me to put people at church before my kids? Do you really expect me to treat the people in my small group the way that I treat my brothers and my sisters and my parents? And I guess I'm saying that's the question that I want us to wrestle with today. Jesus spoke really seriously and really intentionally about the place of God in our lives. And he called people, and I believe he calls us to a radical kind of trust in God. To a kind of life that says, I will put God first, I will trust God. And trusting God means that I will trust that, he, that in putting him first, he has my best interests at heart. That in putting him first, he has my finances under his control. That I'm trusting him that if I put him first, he will work out my career better than I could ever work out my career on my own. And that in putting him first, he will love and he will care for and he will support my family better than I can on my own. That's what it means to trust God. So the questions we're going to talk about in our, in our groups today... We're going to talk about how do we respond to this idea that your family can be an idol. We're going to ask, what would it look like to put God first, to put God ahead of your family in your life? And if we're really courageous, we're going to start asking ourselves, you know, what's something we can change? What's just one thing that we can do in our lives to ensure either to put God in that place or to ensure God stays in that place, that place of priority in our lives Uh, when it comes to our family. And I want to be frank, they might be difficult questions for some of us. And I want to be honest, they're difficult questions for me. You know, I've still got kids living at home and and I love them to death. And so I read these scriptures and I think, what does that mean? I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus with everything I've got. But then I read this and I look at my kids and, and that's a tough question. And there might even be a little part of you that sort of wants to argue with this, you know, that little voice inside you going, well, yeah, but. And that's okay. That's totally okay. I guess what I'm saying is this is a discussion or an argument that's worth having. If we want to follow Jesus, if we want to discover as individuals and as a church what it means to follow him wholeheartedly, what it means, what it means to discover his best for our lives, and for the lives of those people around us, including our family. It's worth having this discussion. 